Welcome to episode 183 of the Women in the Military podcast. I've always wanted to do a mother-daughter episode for Mother's Day, and it just hasn't worked out. And so when Lita contacted me telling me that her and her daughter did a joint memoir, Lita and Jean memoir of two generations of military women, I thought it was a perfect time to do an episode focused on a mother and daughter who both served in the military and how their two stories interconnected and how Jean was inspired by her mom Lita's service and how Lita was inspired by her daughter who served and then how their paths intersected once Jean was injured and needed her mom to advocate for her and support her. And so I think that this is a great way to celebrate Mother's Day and to talk about how important it is to not only serve in the military, but to share the story of your military service with your family, with other people, and I guess share your story on the podcast because the stories of women inspire the next generation of women, and I think Lita and Jean show that through their story of how Lita inspired Jean to serve in the military and how her mom advocated for her. Happy Mother's Day, and I hope you enjoy this special episode with Lita and Jean. Welcome to the show, Lita and Jean. I'm really excited to have you here and to just talk about your guys' experience in the military and to celebrate Mother's Day since you both mother and daughter served in the military. Very nice. We're really enjoying being on your show for this. Yeah, and appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start, and either one of you can go first, but why did you decide to join the military? And then we'll pass it on to the next person. All right, Mom, take well, it away. I started first. I, I joined the military <laughs> 20 years uh, before Jean, so I'll start first. At the time, I was looking for a way to earn a decent living as a mother of two young girls at the time. And I was recently getting a divorce, which caused some conflict on which branch of the service I was going into, which we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of that in the book. Yeah. Because that is kind of a long, drawn out issue. Um, and things have changed a lot. And I think there are many ways that we can, you know, serve and help one another. And when I was in high school, actually well before high school, probably in elementary school, I thought I would join the Peace Corps. But then I realized, you know, I would have to go to college and I I had talked to someone and they said, you know, like they had gone to medical school. And then while they were in medical school, they realized they did not want to be a doctor. And that was the route I was considering at that time. So I thought, well, I should probably get some practical experience in medicine and see if it's something I like before I commit to eight years of school. So I joined the Illinois Army National Guard right out of high school and became a medic. And then I was in the National Guard whilst going to school. And I realized, no, I do not want to be in the medical field. I'm (laughs) I'm not good with, um, I'm too empathetic. I don't like to see people hurt. So it worked out really well. Oh, yes. If I hadn't done that, I would have wasted a lot of time and money on school without actually being, you know, having the practical experience. And it would have been a big mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did your mom play an influence on your decision to join the military? I definitely think that being a, you know, an army brat, my mother and my stepfather both served and we would travel with my mom. Um, you know, like we were with her when she was stationed in Maryland. We were with her when she was overseas in Greece. Uh, we were with her when she was stationed in Kansas. So we would be on the base and it, it does, you know, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a job, you know, it is a 24 seven lifestyle. And I did like uh, the sense of community and camaraderie 
that I saw there. And uh, that definitely came into play when I was making my decision as well. And my mom, you know, when I was thinking about joining the National Guard, she actually went over there with me and found a job before I did. (laughs) So she actually started in the battalion before I did. But yeah, I I don't know if I would have considered it if my mother hadn't been there and if I hadn't been raised in you know, that lifestyle, but I'm, I'm glad that I did. And I'm, I still appreciate the sense of camaraderie and friendship that lasts a lifetime. I'm still friends with my basic training battle buddy. Yeah. The military is great for friendships and getting to meet people. And I mean, and we were sisters cause we're veterans and we don't even know each other that well. And so it's really cool how there's that community. Right. Oh, yeah. And I had a I had a very mixed bag during my career. Initially, I wanted to go Air Force like you did. But like I said, I was in the midst of a divorce. And during the back and forth in court, I lost my slot. I was going to be a, a power plant mechanic, an aircraft mechanic. And because of the the length of time that it took us in court, I ended up having to get to cancel my contract with the Air Force. And I ended up on active duty army as a tank mechanic. And like I said, I I first wanted to go into the military to have a decent living. You know, I'm thinking they're going to train me and then I get out and then I have a good job. So I'm thinking, well, aircraft mechanic, there's two good air airports in Chicago area. I could be an aircraft mechanic at O'Hare or Midway. That would be great, good mm-hmm. money. But then when I ended up in the army as a tank mechanic, I called home to my dad and I said, because my dad was a uh, after duty work. army in Korea. And I said, Dad, you think there's any tank mechanic jobs in Chicago? <laughs> so I, I didn't think it was going to pan out, but it turned out that the uh, the diesel engines that they used in the tanks back then were very similar, small, or they were larger size, but very similar to the bus engines in the uh, Chicago Transit Authority bus system. So I ended up getting a job there after I got out of active duty. So it did come in handy. But you ended up staying in the military through the reserves and National Guard, or did you? Yes, because you went back and forth, and I did. It, it was a, it was oh, it was a lot of back and forth. I am never, if I'm not happy, <laughs> I move. Well, first I got out of active duty army because my ex husband brought me back to court for visitation problems. And after eighteen, I was only in the active duty army eighteen months, and I was forced to take a early discharge to appease him and the child visitation court order. But there's more about that in the book. Yeah, there is more about that in the book. But not wanting to give up completely because I loved the camaraderie, I loved the structure, I loved everything about it. I said, "Well, I got to do something in the military." So I quickly joined the Illinois Air National Guard, which was out at O'Hare. But they did not have a tank mechanic. Tank mechanic Surprisingly, <laughs> the Air Force didn't have tank mechanics. Right. So they had a uh, a site surveyor, an engineer position. So I took that and I did on-the-job training for that. I did not have to go back to AIT. And I had six years with the Air Force Reserves, or excuse me, the Air National Guard. And I became unhappy with the... The officer rank. <laughs> well, yeah. Because if you're better he, at supervising. If you've already done grunt work, yes. I think, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, officers should do a, a stint as an enlisted. Yeah. And all of the officers that were over me in my Air Force days were ROTC grads, and they did not have any idea of what it was like to do the actual grunt work. So I said, I'm going to be an officer. 
and I'm going to be a better officer than these these people. So I said, I'm going to get out of the Air National Guard and I'm going to become an officer. The only place I could do it was the Army National Guard. This was basically because of the requirements of education that were on me. And age, I think, a little bit. No, no, the age was both. Okay. Both, yeah. The age was universal. But the Air Force wanted a four-year degree. The Army said they would let me become an officer with a two-year degree as long as I became four-year qualified before I became captain. So I said, okay, let's do that. So I now I jumped from the Air National Guard to the Army National Guard for OCS. I went to OCS for, I don't know, what's their program, 18 months? Yeah, I think it's 18 months. Became an officer, went to Officer Basic, and I stayed in the Army National Guard for a number of years, but boy, that is an old boys club that it, I did not fit in. Yeah, things, things are always changing and evolving, but... It, it was um, a difficult time. And I know they've made a lot of changes because mm-hmm. of that, because um, those at the very top can influence how others are treated and their actions um, definitely, you know, cause ripples down the line. So um, they have made a number of changes. But yeah, at the time, it was um, it, it was difficult, difficult to be a woman of ring. Right. So I switched then to the Army Reserves. And I found that the Army Reserves had a, a much closer structure to the active duty Army days that I missed so terribly. And then at that time, there it was a time of war, mm-hmm. and you ended up going active duty. Right. I was mobilized. Um, and I joined, like I said, the Illinois Army National Guard out of high school. I served for seven years, enlisted. And then um, I went to OCS, and I was going to school while I was enlisted and I earned my commission and I switched from medical because I realized that wasn't something I wanted to do, but I still wanted to help people. So I went chemical core NBCR um, because I thought if I can, you know, help protect troops, keep them out of areas that might be an issue, or if they have to go in those areas, make sure that we're monitoring them and getting them in and out as quickly as possible. And once they're out, make sure that they are decontaminated as quickly as possible as well. Yeah, you were talking about working as an enlisted troop. And I think one of the best things that my commander did when I was a second lieutenant who had just done ROTC is that we spent a week with each shop to learn about what they did. And so we got to like, I I learned how to use a front end loader. I learned how to build a CMU wall. I learned how to like get my hands dirty and like work with the troops. And they were the experts and they taught us how to do stuff. And I think That really helped me as an officer of the civil engineering unit because I wasn't just leading people. I actually got to see what each section and the civil engineering uh, squadron has like six or eight different places that we had to go and work. So it was a lot of time out in the field and getting to do that. I didn't realize that we had uh, so much in common. I was uh, in a rapid rapid runway repair squadron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I recognize some of the terminology when I was reading. Right. I'm sure it made all the difference to your troops because when they actually see you out there doing the work, it, it does, it, it makes a huge difference. So yeah, you were you were a, a golden second lieutenant in all regards because yes. that makes all the difference. Yeah, and it was really fun. I was like, this is the, <laughs> this is so much oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. So what year was it? When you both entered, I think we skipped over that in the beginning. Sure. I started in 77. And that was the first year that women were in, you know, before that there was the Women's Army Corps. 
So she joined when women were actually in the regular army. Integrated training. In, yes. So they weren't separated out. And then I joined in 93. And how many years total did each of you serve? I had 23. And about 20. But but a lot of mine was... Injured. Injured. <laughs> I was injured and just waiting for, waiting something, for to happen. something to happen. So they constantly had me taking classes or just doing, you know, things that I, I wasn't I wasn't an effective person for a good for a good portion of that. But my first seven years were, you know, they were solid. Mm-hmm. You rescued several people. I did. I rescued several people. Realized that that was not my thing. Yeah. I, I don't mind rescuing people. I just don't like causing them pain. And you, you guys both served at the same time. There was some overlap. I didn't do the math in my head, but I know that there was. There was overlap. Yes. Yeah. And actually one time um, they said, oh, your mom's here. And I was like, oh, and I'm looking around for her and they're like, oh, no, she's back in the ward. <laughs> yeah. She had dehydrated. And I was like, oh. Yeah. So. No. Uh, or like her people would come in from her unit for treatment and I would look at the signature and I was like, that's not your commander's signature. And they're like, how do you know? And I said, I've tried to forge it. And so, I mean, <laughs> um, I know because it's my mom's signature. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we did have some overlap and we did serve in the same battalion, but we weren't there was no overlap in command right. structure. You know, she wasn't my commander in my rating um, system. But whenever I overheated in the uh, at at uh, AIT, no, or annual training, an yes. annual training, yes. I'd have to end up in her unit because I'd have to get IVs. And- Not the way you want your mom to visit, right? And then also, she showed up at like my basic training, and I got called into the commander's office. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do? And she's kicking back, relaxing with the commander, and it's like, oh, mom, <laughs> so embarrassing, but sweet too. Yeah, it's kind of cool to hear about how you guys were both in at the same time, and and just to hear that experience. We yes. both went to the same basic training post. Yes, we and we didn't even realize it until we started writing the book. And then I was and I was like, "Well, I would like to go to like Fort Jackson because that's where I went to." And she's like, "I know that's where you went to basic." And she goes, "That's where I went to basic too." So when we went back there, it was just interesting to realize we had both been there for basic training, but just there was that time difference. And um, I love to look at her old photos. And see um, pictures of like the uniforms that they were wearing back then, and just how things have changed and evolved. At that time, you were able to have natural hair, um, and like I said, you know, women were just then um, in the regular army, just uh, so they hadn't made any adjustments. And now women are going back to being able, or the regulations are changing, so women can wear natural hair once again. And it's just, yeah, it is fascinating. And also just to hear her stories and then compare them to my stories, it's it's kind of fun. We've both been, you know, they've requested that we type and we're both like, yeah, we don't type. Yeah, we don't type. My mom can fix a tank and I can make sure, you know, someone doesn't code, but uh, yeah, we don't type. <laughs> yeah. You were talking about how the military has changed a lot over the years and how the WAC had just disbanded and you were in the the actual army or not. Yeah, the actual army and not the women's army corps. And when I was reading, you were, it was talking about because you weren't divorced, they were able to do a loophole. Yes, correct. Correct. You're not allowed to join if you're divorced. At that time. Right. At, at the time. I don't know about now, but at that time, you could not join if you were divorced. And yeah, you have to read the book because it, it, it is it, very complex. There's a lot involved in it. Um, but and a lot of scandal. But I was able to join the Air Force because I was not divorced yet. 
<laughs> I knew I was going to be divorced, but the Air Force didn't know. Okay, the paperwork. Yeah, yeah, we won't go into it. It didn't go through yet. Yes. So I joined. She joined on a technicality. Right, right. Right. I was thinking it was more about single parents because I knew that the military had strict rules. That's why. Yes. That's exactly you why you yep. couldn't be a single parent, right. and she was going to have full custody. So it there was no that. way that I was going to give him custody. I think that's one of the things that was most surprising when I started the podcast was like, if a woman got pregnant, she got kicked out of the military. And then it was, if you're a single parent, you got kicked out or you couldn't. And like, they made it really complicated. And now to think of today, if you get pregnant, you get 12 weeks maternity leave and a year before you have to deploy and... Wow. They they finally realize that after you have a baby, you you're don't still human. you're still human <laughs> and you don't carry it around with you all day. Right. It is no longer attached once you give birth. <laughs> um, and I think that unfortunately it, it holds true in so many different career fields, but especially um the military. Right. Yeah. People think you can have a career or a child, but hopefully um women today are showing that they can have they can do both. Right. Although there is only one woman woman who's ever received the Congressional Medal, Medal of, of Honor, Honor which in, is sad. ever. Yeah. Ever. Ever. I think with combat exclusion being lifted, I think that'll help change that. Yes, for sure. Because I feel like a lot of the stuff that women did in Iraq and Afghanistan was kind of like, we don't want to talk about that because you're not supposed to be in combat. And now that's gone. Because when I deployed in 2010, I was attached to an infantry unit that I couldn't serve in. And I didn't really think that much about it at the time. But like thinking about how I was in a unit that I couldn't actually be in and like how the technicalities around that. And I've heard stories from women who didn't get like I got a combat action badge and some women weren't able to get a combat action badge, even though they met the requirement of being in combat, but they weren't supposed to be in combat. And so I think that has a lot to do with why the awards aren't there because they didn't want to write about it. They didn't want to talk about it. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually, in terms of deployment, I volunteered several times to deploy, but it was an issue where I would have been attached to an infantry unit and it wasn't permitted. And so that was problematic at that time. Right. You you even had trouble when you were. Well, uh, and I was, I was accidentally attached to a field artillery unit. And I definitely go into that in the book, but you would think that they had never seen a woman before. <laughs> so it yeah. was it was a it was a stark wake up for them yes. to have a female medic. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that was how it started with medics being attached to units because they needed medics and it was predominantly women. And so even in Vietnam, like the the nurses were out there on the front. They weren't on the front lines, but they were like out there with the soldiers taking care of them. And that's when we started moving around and having convoys and needing medics in the trucks. That's kind of how the door opened. And then it slowly changed over time. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. It has been a very slow progress. But it's getting there. It's, yes. You know, and, and we're grateful to every woman like yourself who has served and um, made that shift. Right. And made it happen. Yeah, I think we we all made an impact to the change and we didn't really realize what was happening as we're just living our lives, doing what we're doing. Yep, doing our jobs. So are there any specific memories from your time in the military that you want to share about? I would say you're going to have to go to the book, but yeah, the one time I had to hide a naked man in my wall locker, it was pretty memorable. <laughs> um, no, but also just, yeah, there's, it, it's such an experience and such an immersive experience that, you know, it does change you and how you, how you perceive the world and how you act and interact with other people. And I think I gained a great, a vast amount of knowledge 
from my time in the military. And I, you know, I wouldn't trade that for anything. But we do have, yeah, the whole book is filled with interesting anecdotes, stories, um, yeah, shocking quite, stories. Quite a few stories. Yes. Uh, and, and one incident with zombies. Yeah, my um, stories, my military stories in the book start with uh, finding a toddler wandering on the base where we used to take our uh, vehicles after repairing them on a test run. And I'm, I'm out on a test run and I see this toddler wandering on the road. I'm like, oh my God. Well, now as an, as an E3, <laughs> as an E3, you don't have, uh, you don't have much. You don't have a lot of ring. You don't have, you don't have any, You're not any power. Anyone, there's, yeah. there's no power, but I didn't care. I didn't ask anybody. I didn't, I took the toddler. I took the toddler in my vehicle. I drove to the commander's headquarters marched into the into the general's headquarters with the toddler and said, sir, I insisted on seeing the, the general, sir, you've got to do something about your daycare on post. I've got children in this daycare and I just found this toddler wandering on post. She also spent a lot of time cutting grass with scissors. Yeah. When you do things like that, you get things done. And your but- name becomes very, very memorable, which does not help your children when they join Follow the military. afterwards, right. I mean, in some regards, it was fantastic. And in other regards, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember yeah, your I, mother. Yeah, I definitely... And you're going to pay. It was outspoken. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah. That hasn't changed. <laughs> How much has changed? That's interesting that as a child, you remember, they're like, oh, I know who your mom is. <laughs> so oh, you really- yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. For I many pa- reasons. I paved the way for her. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I mean, I remember just... I mean, being on a military base was really fascinating. We learned to do things that I would have never learned otherwise. You know, like we made pottery. My mom made the bookcases for our our house on base. You know, we learned, we did learn a lot of things that even just to wear like proper footwear when you cut the grass and eye protection and hearing protection um, because it was required. So if you were out there cutting the grass, um, you know, as a child or as a teenager Mm -hmm. and you were on base, you had to wear you know, safety equipment. And I think that um, I took all that to heart as well. And then my nephews were able to go and visit my mother. And it was wonderful to see everything through their eyes. And now one of my nephews is seriously considering joining the military as well. But just seeing their heads pop up when revelry goes off and they're like, what was that? (laughs) And it's like, oh, or having them uh, eat an MRE for the first time. It was exciting to see that as well and see uh, all that knowledge and experience passed on to the next generation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the cool things about like having women in the military and moms in the military is how we can impact the next generation of women who want to serve. Because by hearing the stories or seeing the stories of women told women like yourself, you saw your mom serving in the military. So you never question like, can I be a woman in the military? Because you already knew that was a thing. And my friend's daughter had to draw a veteran for a school project and she drew me and it it was just like I I didn't even realize that she was paying attention you know that I was talking about it but when they said you need to draw a veteran she drew the person she knew who looked like her and it was me and so I think that's why it's so important that moms can serve because then we can impact our children and share our stories. I love it. And you and you definitely have a different perspective on things, I think, as a mother. You know, you do see things differently. And and I will say she does treat everyone like they're her grandkids, but she definitely took care of her troops. And, you know, I think 
she took a special interest in the fact that she was a commander and overseeing troops. And she looked at it differently because she was a woman and in the best way possible, made sure that she was not only encouraging people to do their job, but nurturing them in that job and making sure that they could do that. You know, they were. Retention in the Illinois National Guard was always number one uh, on our to-do list. You know, we had to keep our troops. We had to uh, make sure that we didn't have any AWOLs. And it's difficult when, uh, let's say, a troop lives in Chicago and doesn't have transportation to get to their base to go to uh, drill every weekend. Well, I would make sure that if they didn't have transportation, there's sergeant would go out and pick them up. You know, retention was important and taking care of the soldiers was important. And that's what I did. And one one time when we had a uh, a practice rail move getting ready for deployment, there was a thunderstorm and the sergeant major for the post that we were attached to came out and said, why are you not doing the rail move? Why aren't you loading up the rail cars and, and strapping things down. I said, Sergeant Major, and I was a second lieutenant at the time, so again, not much rank. I said, Sergeant Major, I'm also the safety officer for this, and it's a thunderstorm. This is metal rail cars, metal trains, uh, metal trucks, metal chains that we're strapping down. I don't want my guys getting electrocuted. This isn't wartime. This is a practice exercise, and we're not going to do it during this thunderstorm. I'm sorry. Well, he got really ticked off, but I got an award for it, and uh, it worked out for me. And you saved, you know, potential lives. Hopefully. So. Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed General Wilma Vaj. She's one of the first Air Force. Oh, yeah, her, yeah, yeah, she yeah. She just had her birthday. Yes. Yeah, she, she did. did. Yeah, and she talked about she would come into the unit and people would be like, I don't want to work for a woman. They would try and get out of it. But she thought it was really important to like make sure all their OPRs and EPRs were done and that they were put in for the awards. And by the time she would leave the unit, everything would be spotless the way it was supposed to be. And the people would feel so taken care of. They would tell her, like, I'll follow you in. Anywhere. And they would told her over and over, like, I didn't want to be under you. I was didn't want to work for a woman, but I follow you anywhere. And so I think women just have a different way of looking at it and a different perspective. And it's a good thing to have both men and women working together and to have both sides. Absolutely. Right? And I think everyone wants to be proud of the job that they're doing. And, you know, right. that can that can go a long way for somebody wanting to stay in the military. That can go a long way for somebody doing, you know, the work to the best of their ability is that pride. And I think um, you, you have know, to you make have sure to, that you recognize what yes, your soldiers are doing yes. for you. And set a, a good example right. as well. Right. Was there anything that I missed from your story that you wanted to talk about? Well, I, I left the military and my mom left the military about the same time because I was I was seriously injured while in active duty during a training exercise. And I, I hurt my head, neck and shoulder. And to say hurt is kind of mild. It ended my military and civilian career. And my mom retired shortly thereafter to take care of me because I wasn't able to walk, talk, swallow, breathe on my own. Things are better, but uh, I still have a ways to go. But that was uh, probably the biggest challenge I faced was just trying to feel like I still was a productive person, given that I could no longer do my job. And at that time, you could not remain in the military if you were disabled. Things are different now. And I'm very thankful that things have changed um, and that people have the opportunity to continue working because, you know, once you're in the military, it is a lifestyle and transitioning out to the civilian world world for anyone can be a challenge, but especially if you no longer have a purpose and um, are in a lot of pain 
and finding it difficult just to get through the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm very grateful that my mom was um, kind enough to care for me and uh, make sure that I received the treatments, you know, that I needed. She did turn down like, you know, brain surgery at the first, we were sent to write Pat from my first brain surgery. And she thought of asking, you know, like, how many times have you done this procedure? And the neurosurgeon said, well, I've seen it done before. And I was very, very grateful she had asked that question because I hadn't thought to ask it. And I was grateful that she was there to politely say, no, thank you. We will be finding someone who does this on a regular basis, has actually performed the procedure themselves. And uh, I'm sure there's someone, you know, no offense, but more qualified. And uh, she's been able to find great healthcare providers for me. And that's been wonderful. And then also, I think writing this book and going through everything we've gone through, we also became friends. In addition to mother daughter, you know, being a mother and a daughter, we're also friends, and um, we got to take lots of mother daughter trips together. And we've gone through a lot in the last seventeen yeah, years. We've been through a lot. So our our book is called Lita oh, yeah. and Jean: <laughs> uh, Memoirs of Two Generations of Military Women, and it's going to be published on March. March. 29th. 29th. So it'll be available um, for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a tale of a mother and a daughter. And I talk about, my mother talks about her experience in the military. And then I talk about from a child's perspective, how I saw things. And then also my own experience in the military. And then my mom brings it back around by saying what her, what things were like for her as a parent of, of an injured veteran. Uh, yes. So um, we do take it, you know, in a complete circle. And there are lots of um, resources for uh, women in the book as well. And we really hope that future generations or generations of, you know, the young women and young girls out there who are thinking about joining the military realize that they have a place and they can be, yes, very important. They can really be a benefit to the armed forces and that uh, there are so many different occupations and jobs available out there. So, you know, you can, you can kind of be anything and be in the military. And then you can also be a parent and be in the military. And also that keep all of your records, keep oh. copies of your records. And now it's a little bit easier because you can even take screenshots. Right. Keep, keep, um, keep records. Keep your records. And everyone will tell you that. And harassment is never okay. You might feel a little harassed in basic training and that's a little different. That's different. But um, sexual harassment is not okay. Uh, physical harassment is not okay. Physical abuse is not okay. Spousal abuse is not okay. And even emotional abuse is not okay. And there are resources and people out there to help. And there should be someone on your base specifically to do that job and to make sure that there aren't... Hmm, can't think of what I was going to say. I don't know. But don't... don't um... Don't jump the ranks. Yeah. But there should be some... If no one's listening, there are... Outside the chain of command, there are, there should be assistance out, available. Right. Don't well. ever feel that you have to you have to do something that doesn't feel right, right. in your yes. gut. You know, especially when it comes to sexual abuse, right? And protecting yourself and physical abuse, right? And if you if you are afraid for your life, there should be someone out there to help you mm-hmm. and make sure you seek that help because um, it's not acceptable. I think it's really important that we have mentors that young women who are in the military can reach out to. So I'm working on creating a mentorship program so that if you're ever in a situation and you don't want to go to someone on your base and you just want to talk to a woman veteran that you can reach out to. So I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to sign up to be either a mentor or a mentee. And I was going to ask you what advice you had for women joining the military, but you guys just answered that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's fantastic. That's a um, great, I used to call my sister 
because I have a little my a sister who's a year younger than I am. And uh, I thought that was a good way to work things out because she was also a military brat and kind of knew how things were. But what I didn't know is she would always turn around and tell my mom everything. <laughs> so occasionally I would tell my sister about an issue thinking I was just talking to my sister. But no, it turns out I was talking to major mom as well. And yeah, so I think having a mentor is a fantastic idea. You're right. Especially, yeah, not, especially not in the chain of command. Yeah. Yes. I like that. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, it's a work in progress. So hopefully I can get everything figured out to make it happen. I just feel really passionate that we need more resources for women who are in the military that can help them in all the different situations. There's so many things that you can't even... Co- I mean, I wrote the, uh, the book that's coming out in September, A Girl's Guide to Military Service. But as I'm writing it, I learn new things and I want to add more stuff. And so this is a way to keep the book going yeah, even right. after. And-, and that way you can have the book and then also have the Women of the Military Mentorship Program to help you in your journey. So go check out the show notes and I'll link to that. And I'll link to the book as well so you can check that out. And thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you guys and to hear a little bit of your story. And if you want to hear more about their story, don't forget to check out their book, Lita and Jean, Memoir of Two Generations of Military Women. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military and if you enjoyed women of the military podcast please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service